the reason I want and enjoy being friends with you is because we have different views, because sometimes, many times, when we talk about current events or politics, and it gets, you know, kind of back and forth, there's been a lot of times in our conversations with somebody who thinks differently than me where I stop and I say, huh, and I think about it differently. So there's a million examples of me thinking differently in our conversations, but that one friend is the prime example. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for checking out the second full interview here on Bigger Hearts, Deeper Minds. I'm very excited to have Silence Them with me tonight. Um, how's it going, man? What's uh, what's your week been like? Hey, man. Thanks for having me, first of all. Second of all, um, it's, uh, it's a short week with the holiday, so it's always good. Um, only a couple days left to the weekend. Yeah, that's very true. Um, awesome. So yeah, if you don't mind, uh, go ahead and just give everyone an introduction of kind of who you are, what you do, a little bit about your music, and uh, we can go from there. Well, uh, I'm Silence Them. I'm from Northwest Illinois, um, outside of Chicagoland, and uh, I'm an artist who um, just writes about his life, writes about his experiences, and uh, I've been in bands for a long time. I've toured the country with uh, small bands and bigger bands. And um, this is a project that I'm doing right now. And um, it's a completely solo project. Um, I'm the only one who writes any of my music. If you're a fan of uh, Nothing Nowhere, uh, if you're a fan of uh, any of the uh, kind of country rap or the, uh, the uh, hip hop, I kind of infuse a few of those different genres and uh, made my own unique kind of sound. This uh, project's given me an opportunity to do things sonically that I've never gotten to try before, but I've always wanted to. And um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Awesome. Well, thanks. Appreciate that intro. So how would you describe your political beliefs to start off with? Um, who who influenced you and and what kind of brought you to your current political beliefs? Well, <clears throat> I really wasn't I really wasn't political at all as a kid. I, I wasn't aware of any of that any of that. And I'll be honest, I, I paid attention to you know I grew up in a time the same time you did where the only presidents that I ever really remembered were George W. Bush. Uh, I was born, you know, uh, during his father's term. And then Clinton years, I was a kid. But I remember George W. Bush as my first, like, president that I remembered. And then obviously Barack Obama, two terms. Um, I first had my political awakening, I would say, toward the end of the Obama years, um, probably 2015, 2016. And who influenced me was actually um, 
the guys at the Daily Wire. And um, I found those guys and I found their platform and um, I just kind of dove in and became aware of what was going on. For sure. That makes sense. Was there anything in particular throughout the Obama presidency that um, kind of drove you to find new media sources or anything that was really like, yeah, anything specific from his presidency that was kind of the catalyst for you? Well, not really. I, I just remember, I remember there being a lot of, because um, let's see, that was 2012 to 2016. So, well, I, I remember there was a lot of turmoil. Um, there was a lot of the race-related uh, stuff going on and the whole Black Lives Matter movement. I think actually started back in the Obama years. I remember the police officers in Dallas getting assassinated um, by a you know radical um, person who had those kind of beliefs. And I yeah. think I think that's when Ferguson and all that. I think that's when I really started paying attention to what was going on, and when I started to. Um, realized that I didn't like the people on TV. I didn't like the media on the talking heads on TV. So I started being, you know, in the age that we're in with the internet and with YouTube and with everybody's podcasts and everybody's voices that they are able to have. I started going toward alternative media then. And honestly, I know people are going to make fun of me for this, but before the Daily Wire, I actually found Infowars. <laughs> I actually started listening to Alex Jones. That was like the first. That was the people are gonna be like, oh god, here we go. Good. That was the first, very first. Um, him and Glenn Beck. Those are like some of the very first voices that I found, and that um, kind of made me start paying attention. Gotcha. That makes sense. Yeah. Thanks for sharing a little bit more detail. Um, it's funny, we'll, we'll get more to Glenn Beck in a little while. Uh, he's a character, to say the <laughs> least. But um, yeah, InfoWars, it's, it's funny because I don't remember when it was. I want to say it was somewhere around late high school for me, which was a little over a decade ago, which is crazy to think about in and of itself. But I, I found Alex Jones and InfoWars all the way back then, too. And I was like, I, I definitely went through a cycle of like, at the time I was so young and I was like, I just never heard of him before. And so I, I was so intrigued by how everything he was talking about was the opposite of like mainstream media and, and just kind of just the fluff that you'll hear on like MSNBC and stuff. And so I, I dove in like head first and I didn't find out until later that he's, you know, more of just like an entertainment guy than he is actual news. Um, but uh, yeah, right. it's, it's interesting how uh, a lot of these, you know, circles kind of run together. So yeah, that's cool. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's crazy to once you are in that world and you, you know, really follow these people, and you you start to um, you start to realize how many connections there are, and how many of those people not only do they know each other, they look up to each other. They were mentored by one another. They were inspired by one another to have these conversations and to have these platforms um and yeah i i mean i think it would be there's so much to unpack just with the name 
Alex Jones, right? I mean, it would. I think it would be um, ignorant to say that he didn't have a huge. While while it was a very controversial uh, role, it would. I think it would be ignorant to to ignore that he, in my opinion, is kind of a pioneer in the same way like Glenn Beck would be, or the um, the uh, the gentleman that we just lost. I can't remember his name. Um, the guy who passed away of oh, cancer. Big yeah, conservative. Uh, Rush Limbaugh. Yeah. Rush Limbaugh. Rush Limbaugh. Yeah, I mean, it might make some people mad to put yeah. those names in the same <laughs> sentence. I'm just saying, like, there. As far as I was aware, as far as I was exposed to uh, people, you know, those were some of the people that seem like now that I'm way deeper, years and years into this awakening and into this world, um, he did influence a lot of people to at least start their own outlet. I think. Alex Jones is crazy as he absolutely no it's very true I mean yeah both all three of those guys Glenn Beck uh, Rush Limbaugh and Alex Jones they all have huge platforms and yeah they've all been very influential in their circles so yeah that's very true uh, Rush Limbaugh in particular was um, yeah he was way way up there he, he's basically you know I'm sure people will say similar things about um, Glenn Beck when you know when it gets to the point where he's uh you know, no longer on earth, but, um, yeah, they're, they've all been very, very influential. So that's, that's cool to hear a little bit more about your, uh, personal history with just kind of learning from those people and, and seeing what they have to share. So, um, yeah, very, very polarizing figures, but very influential figures as well. So I agree. And you know what? I've always, um, in school as a kid, I've always, I was always really into history. Um, I was always really interested in the controversial and polarizing figures in history. I, I wanted to mm -hmm. learn about them because there is a curiosity that it sparks, I think, where even if, even if you're studying somebody that does negative things, and we'll, we'll get to this later in the conversation, I'm sure, but you know, it's important yeah. to learn about the bad or the polarizing as well as the good and the, you know, more welcomed voices in society because you need to have those perspectives. So I was yeah. always into, you know, the bad guys. I was always into the controversial stuff because I wanted to understand like what about this was controversial, you know? So maybe that's why I was more attracted to those voices in the beginning. Yeah, no, it totally makes sense. I mean, I, I'm I'm a believer in you can't really make a judgment about someone one way or another until you actually get to know that person, know their content and like what they're actually putting out there. And I feel like people are all too quick, whether on the left, right or in the middle to just be like, yeah, I don't like this person or I, I disagree with them just because the side that they're on like disagrees with them. And it's like, well, you don't know what this person is going to say, even if you end up yeah, not liking them, not supporting them, at least do the research yourself and, you know, think about what they're saying, chew on it, like, you know, ruminate on it. Um, but yeah, it's something that not enough people do these days, which is definitely a, a sad reality. So, but yeah, that's a whole other story. Yeah, that's very that true. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Awesome. That was my, that was my, those were my first, um, 
those were my first voices that I started listening to. And it was, it was the end of the Obama years in summary. It was the end of the Obama years and into the beginning of the whole um, 2016 election cycle that I really started um, paying attention. And I, I really was red pilled. Yeah, for sure. That makes sense. Yeah, there was a lot of change that that took uh, took place around the transition from Obama to Trump, and I, I feel like it just gets more and more intense every single year, um, every single election cycle too. But uh, yeah, we might be able to get into that a little bit later too. Um, so another question I have for you is: uh, Who today in the political landscape, whether it's an actual politician themselves or just a content creator, a podcaster, uh, who do you feel? offers the most like hope for change uh if you feel anyone deserves that kind of praise at all which i would be totally okay if you're like nope no one uh <laughs> no one gets my vote <laughs> uh well that's a really good question brad i i think that i definitely have some names that come to mind instantly uh candace owens i think she's a shining star in the future of the fight and I would say Candace Owens, Larry Elder, um, Dave Rubin. And, you know, I, I really think the Daily Wire gets a really is a really polarizing uh, outlet because of Ben Shapiro, who was my first, you know, introduction and everyone's first introduction to the Daily Wire. But I would definitely say in these years now, five years now, I've been following them since they've added um Michael Knowles is actually a really, really intelligent guy. And he's really, I think, getting a different audience. He and Candace Owens are two great examples of somebody that's, or people that are pulling a different audience um, from what Shapiro started with his platform. And um, so I definitely think as far as content creators and that might even one day be politicians. Um, I would say Candace Owens, Michael Knowles, Dave Rubin, um, and Larry Elder, who, you know, I'm, there's a lot to talk about with Larry Elder, but right now, especially, but he was also another one of the, uh, as I got further along in my political awakening, he is probably the strongest voice in my um, psyche now. And, and that's because he's libertarian. So uh, he's kind of like my, you know, my political, you know, uh, role model, I guess you'd say in a lot of ways. But I really think that the younger people like Michael Knowles, like Candace Owens, like Dave Rubin, I feel like who who is, you know, a gay man, but he's now, you know, he's libertarian now. And I just think that, people like them have the biggest chance of making an impact with this younger generation because all, all three or four of those people really appeal to folks our age, folks a little older than us maybe, um, maybe in between our age, 30-year-olds to, to my, our parents' age, maybe the in-between crowd. And then definitely the younger kids really like Michael Knowles. They really like Matt Walsh. They really like... Uh, um, Candace Owens, it seems like. So I think there's a lot of hope with the characters like that. Younger people, we need younger people. And um, 
Dennis Prager, uh, Prager U, they have a lot of good younger content creators on their platform too that I think really are doing some great work um, appealing to, you know, the college kid age where that's that's where the fight's happening right now is is the, the colleges are uh, viciously trying to um, brainwash is a strong word, but they're they're trying to viciously mold the minds of the next generation. And I think that um, all those people I mentioned give me hope in the political landscape and in the cultural landscape going forward for fighting for good, the right values, in my opinion, American values. And I think those are some of the, the big names that we'll be talking about when we're up. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. Those are all some very big names. Um, yeah. in in the kind of, right right wing to middle area um yeah candace owens for sure has been um another very polarizing figure she really just you know rose to effectively stardom overnight and now she's got her own show and like book and you know speaking and everything so yeah she's she's definitely uh someone who's a frontline uh fighter definitely on the conservative side um yeah you said a couple other things in there that that made me think um yeah, Kang Kangmin Lee, if I'm pronouncing his name correctly, he's one of the like Prager Force uh, guys. I've really been inspired by. What's that? Yeah, I'm familiar with him. Familiar with him yeah. Okay, yeah, I'm I've been following him, a lot yeah. of his stuff on really just Instagram more than anything else, and I've been very inspired to see the type of content that he puts out. And uh, I mean, he's he's Christian as well, so being a Christian, I I agree with him uh, already with a lot of that stuff. But I I feel like he just he gives very sound arguments. Um, and it's at the point where you don't necessarily have to be you don't have to be a Christian to agree with the arguments that he's laying forth because he's doing such a good job researching what he's saying and yeah, really just standing behind the facts and the truth. So um yeah, that's really cool. I agree. I think that um as far as those and those are honestly those are some of the people that I'd like to see move into the political landscape in the way that Larry Elder is right now, which man, that, you know, may God be with him because he is up against probably one of the biggest battles in political history. But, you know, as far as, as far as politicians go, that I, I gotta be honest, I'm really not optimistic. And that's one of the reasons why I'd like to see some of these very influential figures on social media and on their platforms. I'd love to see some of them break through and break the mold, make the jump into uh, future congressmen and women, uh, senators, presidents, governors even. I mean, there's that gives me hope, but as the political climate is right now with all of the, the, the players and the characters on this table, um, I think that there is slim to no hope for um, anyone to really rise to the occasion. If it, if it's not going to be one of these younger people. Yeah. Well said. I'm, I'm pretty much in the same boat. I, I don't really, I mean, I don't have, I don't place my faith in any politician of any sort, but I pretty much just celebrate the wins when we get them, and for the rest, it's like kind of hunker down and <laughs> prepare for the worst because uh, you really never know what's coming these days. Um, even outside of Biden, which that's a whole other story right there too. But it's just everything from like inflation to 
um, you know, just, just oil prices and, uh, I don't know, our ridiculously gargantuan military industrial complex and just all the foreign aid that we send. I mean, I, I could go on and on about the bloat of the government, but long story short, I, uh, I was excited when Ron Paul and, you know, Rand Paul were doing some, uh, they're, they're still doing things like they both still have their own like media platforms and, you know, writing books and publishing, uh, articles and stuff. But when they, when Ron Paul specifically was, uh, running for president, I was, you know, I, I wasn't even really a libertarian at that point, but looking back, I was like, holy crap, like this is probably the closest that America ever got, uh, to having that as an option. Cause the dude was ridiculously popular and, you know, he was, he was winning people from like left, right and center. Like it was. That guy had some. Oh momentum. yeah, guy, he did. He definitely did have momentum. I agree. Yeah. But I don't know, man. I just—it's so much different than like even when we were growing up. I yeah. mean, everything that you just mentioned in that list, like these are long, long time problems that have. These are long time problems that. Um, the current generations are just now finding out about, and they want a instant solution to a decades long problem. And that's what yeah. people our age and younger and even people older than me seem for God knows why at this point in their lives can't seem to wrap their little acorn sized minds around is that, you know, things have been messed up in this country for a very long time. I mean, and, you know, we got a laundry list of, of examples, which I won't, you know, blab off about all those, but you mentioned a, a few of them, and it's like, I'm, I'm 30 years old, I'm, you know, I'm about to be 30 years old, and I haven't been uh, politically awake for very long in the long term uh, or anything, it's only been about, you know, six, five, six years, and I could tell you I could tell you right now that it's just it doesn't take an expert to see that. It doesn't take an expert to like look at the facts, look at what, you know, certain politicians and what the government is doing and what the government has done over time. Like I said, I enjoyed history. I paid attention to history class. You know, you look at you look at history and you look at how things went before and what's happening now. And it doesn't take a genius or an expert to see that, like, these are not problems that can be solved like that with a bill, with a snap of your finger, with uh, an executive order. It, it's just not going to happen that way. Very well said. Um, yeah, no, it's, yeah. Problems that took decades to create are not going to be solved overnight. So, yeah, that's a very good point. Um Awesome. So another question I had for you in obviously, so we're both musicians. We've both been musicians for. Don't mind me. I'm grabbing that. I, I brought a cooler for the occasion. <laughs> oh, nice. There you go. Heck yeah, man. <laughs> Gotta have a good Bev. Um, so yeah, music culture in general tends to uh, lean left if and when it leans political uh, or if, if and when it's political at all political at all if i can speak today <laughs> um but yeah i was curious you know ha, do you feel like you've seen the same in your years throughout being a musician and if so 
what are your thoughts on it? Or if you disagree, feel feel free to share your thoughts as well. All right. Well, I actually have a lot to say about this one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yes, I've been a musician and I've been playing in bands and I've been musically active um, for many, many years now, almost two decades. And I've been listening to music since I was a young kid. Now, this is a big one because there's two sides of it for me. The first side of it is becoming an adult and becoming awake in your own way politically. And then the, dis the rediscovery of music you that I used to listen to as an adult and realizing, oh my God, I was listening to a band that was a hundred percent like leftist anarchist, you know, uh, stands for X, Y, and Z or completely, you know, like F the system kind of stuff. And you know, I didn't even know what that meant when I was listening to it as a kid. That's the first side of it. The second side of it is the, the uh, agenda, the cultural agenda, and how the music industry is involved in that. So there's two completely separate, you know, sides to it for me. So, um, I guess to start with the first side, you know, it's disappointing now that I'm older to realize that. And, and, and they're all tied together. They're, they're both tied together, these two sides for me. So and I'm going to explain how. Um, so in the process of realizing that, oh, my God, like, I'll give an example. Green Day. You know, I, I listened to Green Day. I worshipped Green Day as a kid. Uh, some of the first stuff that I learned how to play um, on, on bass. And then as an adult now, I realize, like, I follow, you know, a couple of them on social media and you see the stuff that they post and you see, you go back and you revisit an album like American Idiot. That's a perfect example. And you, you, I, I revisited it and I listened to what they're talking about, what they're singing about. And I'm like, you know, I don't really agree with that. I don't really agree with the point that he's making right now. System of a Down is another great example. They came from a they came from a very uh, bad situation that continues to be a problem in the world in their country, and they sing about that. But they also sing about a lot of problems that they saw when they came to America. And it's interesting as an adult to think about that and read that and kind of unpack a lot of that too. Now, yeah. the other side of it is in this hypersensitive cancel culture time that we live in where politics, Shapiro has a, um, Ben Shapiro has a quote. I think it's actually from his mentor. If it's not from him, I think it is from his mentor. Politics 
is downstream of culture. And it, it's, or culture is downstream of politics, however you want to look at it. Like it's all connected. And to think that, and, and to think that there aren't um, agendas and to think that there aren't um, motives within culture to gain political power, to gain uh, further gain in their agendas, um, that, well, that would be foolish to think that because that's absolutely what's happening. And you, the proof is all around us. The proof is in the pudding. The money in Hollywood is mostly coming from China. Um, there's all types of propaganda. There's all types of, um, there's all types of propaganda in the music, in the movies, in the TV shows. And now in the cartoons for the kids, I mean, it's all connected. And as a musician, it's been really, really alarming. Because I think what scares me the most about all of it is, yeah, maybe I don't agree with what Green Day was singing about in their songs. Or maybe, you know, I don't agree with what this one rapper said and, you know, or what Eminem said today in his, you know. Yeah latest bowel movement of a song where he just gets on and I'm an angry 40-year-old man and I'm just gonna, you know, complain about it. Um, they have the freedom to say that on the microphone. They have the freedom to get in the studio and get on the mic and spit their feelings, their thoughts, their views. I don't have to agree with it. I can still like the music even even though I don't agree with the band and what they stand for. It's getting harder and harder for me as a fan of music and as a musician to look past it. However, you can still, there are still songs that I like by people I disagree with politically or what, you know, based on what I see them share on social media, um, on their band pages and stuff. What scares me the most and what should scare every creator of, music and uh, art out there is the censorship side of it all. The freedom of speech is, is so encroached upon now that it's, it's nearly, uh, it's nearly gone, man. I hate to say it, but it's nearly gone. Um, and it's very, it's become very clear to me in the music scene and the music industry um, whether it's the rap world or the, the metal world, uh, both communities that I have ties to and both communities that I follow very closely. It's becoming very apparent to me that um, we're in big trouble and there is one side of the aisle and there is one machine that is making the moves and censoring one certain side of the aisle or anyone that is anywhere connected or maybe thinks a little bit or agrees with one side of the aisle no longer has that right as a musician, as a songwriter. That should scare everybody. Right. Absolutely. Very well said, man. Um, on everything, honestly, I, I really couldn't agree more with uh, with everything you laid out there. So, yeah, you touched on a, a ton of good stuff. I, I I had a very similar experience with Rage Against the Machine. I mean, I, I grew up, you know, in high school, even I think I had heard of them in junior high initially, but definitely carried them 
with me through like high school and even into college and didn't realize until later when I would have probably considered myself libertarian leaning um, or like kind of, you know, um, anarcho-capitalist as well. But yeah, didn't realize until later, like, wow, these guys are, they, they all admit it, like they're all socialists, you know, it's like, that's, that's their personal view. It's like, okay, that definitely changes my view on, on your music. I'll still rock out to the music every once in a while, but it's not going to be, uh, it's not going to be something that I look at with the same lyrical passion that I once did. And you said too, it's, it's so easy to, you know, when you're a young kid, you, you don't necessarily understand like what a particular concept means or like what they're trying to convey in the music. And you don't realize until later, like, wow, that was not at all what I thought it was. And yeah, some people want to tear down the system because the system is bad. Other people want to tear down the system and put their own system in place because they want to be the ones in power. So, yeah. And can I add something to that about the, the not, uh, the being a kid and not understanding and that that's a dangerous thing. Because without knowing it, we were being conditioned by the music that we were listening to as kids. Those bands and those people, they knew what they were doing. They knew what they were singing about. And, you know, whether it was lack of parental uh, supervision or just carelessness, so many people um, were exposed to things that as kids that they, in movies as well and shows as well, but we're talking about music. So, you know, musically, lyrically, um, we were exposed to a lot of stuff that we didn't even know until we're older. And that's yep. dangerous because that shows you that it works. That shows you that it, it, if they can get that over your head as a kid, maybe with hopes that you'll grow up kind of having that um, tear down system mentality or the, you know, extreme right wing kind of uh, subject matter, which you don't really hear much because the music industry has, in my opinion, has always been just like Hollywood where it's always been run by the left and it's always been run by complete leftists. And, uh, you know, there's never been another way, you know what I mean? It's always been like that. And, you know, it's just, it's, it scares me so much that we're losing I never. I can honestly say this. I never thought, as a musician, especially, I never thought I'd get to the point where I have to be careful of what I put out lyrically in my songs, because I could be taken off the internet like that. Lights out, done. I spent hundreds of dollars on recordings. I spent thousands of dollars um, on music videos. I spent all this money and time and energy on top of the creativity side. Of creating my art all for somebody in big tech land who's really a bureaucrat is what these people are at this point they're yeah. they're literally doing the bidding of the white house and the leftist regime and they're pushing the button and black goes my screen black goes my my instagram um followers are taken shadow banning happens if I put out a song that doesn't, you know, that, that they deem is misinformation or whatever you want to say, I never thought I'd see that day in our lifetime. And I never thought that art would be this uh, in jeopardy of being censored. It's it scary, is. man. It's very scary. That's very true. Um, yeah. Some of the stuff you mentioned there made me think about how, 
like Jordan Peterson talks about, you know, someone is fundamentally left-leaning if they're open to new experiences and they're fundamentally right-leaning if they're, you know, closed off to new experiences. They like to keep things the same. And it makes sense because liberal means open and free and conservative means keep things the same, you know, keep conserved, like preserve what we already have. So it makes sense that over over time and throughout history, we've seen, you know, people who lean liberal are naturally more, tend to be more artistic and open to new experiences, open to new ways of doing things. And then, you know, obviously the conservatives are not, but now it's at a point where it's like, yeah, they're, it, it's weird because some people on the left are almost acting like a conservative would and saying like, no, you can't say this new thing. You can't try this new idea. You have to keep it the same. And it's like, that's, that's never what liberalism was meant to be about. It was meant to be everybody should be free. Like a, a real liberal is, is a modern day libertarian. It's live and let live. You know, it's like you right. do your thing, I'll do mine. Right. And the goalpost has continuously moved further this way or continuously moved further this way to where people that, like you just said, were at one point this side of the aisle now, it's like, hey, I'm in the middle here. What's going yeah. on? Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, to wrap up the whole music uh, culture thing, man, um, left-leaning thing. It's, I'll, I'll be honest. I mean, I really just, I'm kind of torn with, I have some songs that I want to release, but I'm, I'm afraid that if I do, I'm going to piss so many people off and it's just going to blow up into this big thing. I mean, you see it happen. Uh, you see it happen with many artists that I look up to who are fighting the good fight and, um, those are the kind of people that I want to work with. And those are the kind of people that I look up to musically because, you know, I never thought, I think, uh, someone from the sex pistols or someone got quoted, uh, like a week ago saying like, I never thought I'd see the day when the, the, the punk rockers are the ones screaming the loudest to obey the government everywhere. Like that is so accurate and so ass backwards. I mean, Back ass words, man. I mean, it's like, since when did the dudes who are patriotic have to come out on songs and and say like, how how did that become the controversial thing? To to be, how are these people the ones that are now anti-government, anti this machine? And but then the people who were resist. You know, the, the kings and queens of resist the, the the godfathers and godmothers of that whole culture and movement are now the ones saying, do what they say or we're canceling you, blah, blah, blah. You know, and it's just the roles have been completely reversed. It's crazy. And personally, it's caused me a lot of um, mental turmoil, a lot of heartburn, um, a lot of a lot of difficulty as far as like my plans and what I'm going to be releasing um, and the way I release my music, because I have a lot of things I want to say about this kind of stuff, but you know, there's consequences. We, we're living in a consequential time artistically. So, um, and as far as the left leaning is to, I think it's completely ridiculous. It's gross. I think it's unfair um, regardless, yeah. uh, regardless of how I personally feel, everyone should be free to express themselves just like it used to be. So, 
that's what I got to say about that. <laughs> Absolutely. I couldn't agree more, man. It's, uh, it's very well said. I, it's a sad day indeed when, um, people who would normally be supporting someone's free right to say whatever they want are the people who are saying, no, you need to shut up or we disagree with you. So just because we disagree with you, that's, that's why you need to stop talking. So yeah, it's, uh, it's a difficult time. Um, one thing you said too reminded me of, uh, a Tom McDonald lyric. It's, I think it's the opening line to fake woke. He says, uh, I think it's crazy. I'm the one who's labeled as controversial, but Cardi B is the role model for 12 year old girls. I'm just like, dude, <laughs> talk about an opening line for a song. But, um, yeah, it's, it's true. It's, uh, you know, I, I hope that more artists will honestly rise up and, and, uh, feel free to say the things that are on their minds. Cause I, I think it's, you know, it's, it's coming down to a point where we have to decide, unfortunately, what side we're on. Are we on the side of freedom or are we on the side of, you know, tyranny and control? So, um, but yeah, very, very people, pressing times indeed. Yeah, I think the people that you really need to pay attention to right now with that kind of music are um, Tom McDonald, obviously, is he's really making waves. Um, Adam Calhoun, um, he... Uh, He's been saying this stuff uh, for a while as well, and um, and then uh, there's a rapper called uh, Burden who just he just put out a song called F Biden, and it went to number three on the iTunes charts. I'm not kidding you. Last week, he he it moved all the way up to number three on the iTunes charts. Yeah. Oh. Um, he's, he's been having some good ones. Uh, we, the people is one you should definitely check out too. Um, it's about the whole last summer of chaos and violence and BLM, um, and all that, uh, subject matter. So those are, those are three people to really pay attention to. For sure. I appreciate the shout outs. I'm sure they do as well. Um, yeah, it's funny. Uh, I don't know if, if uh, Burden wrote that song partly or, or completely in response to uh, the F Trump song, because I know there's some other rapper did like an F Trump song. Um, oh, yeah. I've heard some people playing that in the in uh, just driving throughout Schaumburg. There was, there was one time, I don't know if you saw this uh, at all either, but being uh, Illinois residents, there was um, during like er, much earlier this year when... Uh, a bunch of, uh, admittedly, uh, quite a few, like, you know, QAnon people, but for lack of a better term, a lot of conservatives, uh, it was like the golf and Meacham intersection, and there was like kind of all the lefties on one side and all the righties on the other, and there was one chick that was, she was driving uh, her Jeep with uh, all the windows down and stuff, and she was just blasting the F Trump song, and I think she was driving past the people on the right side. I, I just found the whole thing hilarious. I actually wanted to interview people there but i didn't get the chance at the time so i i got invited to go to that and it was a super windy day i remember it was okay i think it yeah. was a sunday and um my buddy invited me to go with a bunch of people and he had like shirt uh shirts for me to wear hats for me to wear like i was like man yeah yeah, I'm gonna pass. Yeah. I'm like, I just <laughs> Schomburg and Schomburg and uh, and uh, QAnon or like election uh, protesting people, and uh, th those are two things that don't mix. 
So I was like, you know, I'm just going to sit this one out. There was just um, two weekends ago, there was just a, a freedom rally up in Marengo, which is, you know, a little bit north of me uh, last year. And um, me and the motorcycle club that I ride with, uh, we were going to go up there. It was a whole anti-mask uh, and anti-vax and anti-lockdown um, rally. <clears throat> and so someone in the group suggested that we don't go. And I was like, yeah, I don't really want to go. I didn't want to go to begin with, and we ended up not going. We ended up just going to do something else. And Yeah, I'm just not um, – I'm not into being there. I, I don't want to be there in person because – Unless it's something I really, really felt strongly about, I, I just don't need those problems in my life. Like, I don't need to get arrested because here's the problem. If I went to one of those uh, ordeals and things got violent and someone that I cared about got involved in the scuffle, I mean, I'd be going to jail because I'd start, you know, whooping some butt. You know what I mean? Like, I'd be protecting my friend. Or what if my girlfriend got hit in the face or something by some asshole through a water bottle? You know? You don't know. So then I'm in a fight and I'm in a position. And it's like, well, this was kind of stupid when I could have just stayed home or I could have just gone to the, you know, the bar down the street and had a nice night with my friends. Right. Exactly. That's good. You probably made a wise call to, to skip out on that. Some, some things, some events like that um, definitely pique my interest, but others seem a little bit too, too fringe for me to want to attend as well. So yeah, that's a really interesting story. <laughs> Um, all right, let's go to the next question here. So, uh, recently governor Andrew Cuomo resigned and obviously we, we touched on Larry Elder and, and Gavin Newsom and some of the recall election stuff too, but obviously like both of these, uh, you know, political leaders are Democrats. They were leading democratic States. Um, but you know, given, given how much, uh, I don't want to, unrest isn't the right word, but just discontent, you know, and, and frustration, uh, given how much of that has taken place. What are your thoughts on all of that? And do you feel like this is kind of like a changing of the tide as far as political leanings go in those states? Or what do you make of it all in general? Well, um, as far as New York, um, I think that that was actually about covering up the fact that Andrew Cuomo is responsible for killing literally thousands of elderly people in New York state uh, nursing homes and New York city statewide for his handling of COVID. And, uh, and I think that was just New York politics one-on-one for you right there. I mean, that was, Oh, now, now we're going to make this about a game of grab ass. You know, it's like, listen, that's that's totally not what it was about. It was it was a scapegoat. It was a scapegoat. They had to. Otherwise, I mean, they were they were literally investigating this guy for killing people because of his policy decisions during the the original wave of the pandemic. So, I mean, it's um to me that's just that's BS. In my opinion, I think that was that was uh, I'm not saying he didn't do those things he's accused of, 
um, I don't hurt anybody uh, or make anyone feel uncomfortable. I'm sure he did those things. I mean, the guy's a complete sleazeball. I mean, so, you know, like I said, it's New York politics 101. It's, it's no, almost no different than Chicago politics, you know? It's, it's as corrupt as the day is long, you know what I mean? I'm, it, it, is the sky blue? Yeah, well, Chicago and New York still are run by corrupt people and have been since our grandfathers were kids. So, um, no surprise there. That guy, that guy is here. Here's the problem with New York's situation. Um, that had nothing to do with an awakening. New Yorkers, I don't care. I'm sorry if anyone's watching this from New York. New Yorkers are some of the stupidest people I've ever met. Like, <laughs> I'm sorry. These. They, they're the definition of insanity is um, doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. Well, these people continuously vote for stupid people, and then they they wonder why stupid things happen in their city or in their state. So you you reap what you sow. Um, I have no sympathy for those people out there. Um, I have sympathy for people that want to get out but can't afford to move. I have sympathy for people that are tied with obligations to a place like New York City, like family obligations, or I can't leave my family behind. You know what I mean? I have I have sympathy for those people, but you know what? Uh, it, it's a centipede in that city. I mean, it's a centipede. You cut off the head, there's 80 more legs behind it and body parts wiggling back up to the surface. I mean, there's going to be another Andrew Cuomo like that. It's, it's just a different name, different face. That's my thoughts about New York. Um, as far as what's going on in California, uh, very interesting situation. Larry Elder, as I said before, I really look up to Larry Elder. I really, um, I follow him. I look up to him. I actually gave my dad his book, Dear Father, Dear Son, for Father's Day this year. And this was before he announced he was running for governor of California in the recall effort. So I gave him... I bought my dad Larry Elder's book for Father's Day, and he was like, "What's this?" I don't think he had really heard of Larry Elder, but he he started reading the book, and I told him what the book was about. And he's like, "Are you trying to apply something about our relationship?" I was like, "No." I said, "I just I look up to this guy, and I think it's a good story about a son and a dad because it is." But for those um, watching who don't know Larry Elder's you know backstory, I mean, there's a million uh, interviews that he's guy on youtube where he tells the backstory of his father um really really great guy and uh i think he's a very strong libertarian voice he has been for a long time now as far as what's going on in california with the recall effort and the fact that larry elder is actually looking at a pretty good as far as the polls that i've seen today he's actually looking at a pretty good chance that this could happen um i think it's actually less likely that he i think it's less likely that this vote yes to the recall vote goes in his favor than if he were to be right up against gavin newsom in uh, the general i think he would win today if but but we got to get there first he has to, they have to vote, yes, we're going to recall this guy. And I'm kind of scared about that, to be honest with you. 
I think California is an opposite of California situation right now. Larry Elder and Gavin Newsom are same in the sense of those people. A lot of people out there are just complete morons and they vote for this. They vote for bad policy and they get bad policy. And elections have consequences. But they're different in the sense of, I think at least half of that state is finally waking up to a lot of this stuff. And I think that's why Larry Elder has gained so much momentum and why there's an actual real chance. This totally. Time. It's good coverage of it. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it does seem very close. I, I actually, I'll be honest, I haven't looked at any of the polls or any of the actual numbers, but I've, I've heard similar things. I've heard that Larry Elder is growing, uh, <laughs> growing support by the day and that it, it will be probably very close, or at least I hope it will be if, if it gets to that point, like you said. Um, and I think what's interesting about California and just a lot of, you know, left-leaning states in general is, I mean, obviously there are people who vote what they want and then they realize, oh crap, that's actually not what I wanted. Or, you know, sometimes they're, they are just really good people and, and they believe just, you know, they just have liberal, liberal beliefs and that that's how they lean politically. But then someone who uh, should have done a good job ended up doing a really bad job or they, they intentionally, you know, screwed the country over and it's, you know, lobbyists and, you know, they're in bed with pe certain people, sometimes quite literally. And it's just, it's just a poop show like all around. But uh, I agree. It's, you know, if, if you make unwise decisions, you're going to get bad results. And so I think more Californians than ever are starting to see, oh crap, I, I better really think about this and you know, put my vote behind someone who is actually going to do a good job and not, uh, you know, screw the, the state over. I, I can't remember if I said country earlier, but either way, meant to say uh, state, but you get my point. You're right, and I think that that's, well, yeah, I mean, I, I just don't understand how, I mean, you're giving people a lot of credit, I think, <laughs> because here's the other thing you got to remember about the way people vote. It's generational. It's completely generational. I mean, it's like, I, I, I literally have friends. And, and, okay, so we talked about the East Coast. We talked about the West Coast. Now, yeah. here we are outside of Chicago in the middle of the country. It's the same thing. I mean... I have friends that that vote for Democrats no matter what, and family members that vote for Democrats no matter what. They don't care. They don't do their research. They've always voted that way. They're going to continue to vote that way. And then their kids vote that way because their parents tell them, oh, this isn't the right person to vote for, or this is the, not the right person to vote for, you know? And so I think a lot of it is also just like, People just don't take the time to really research who they're voting for. Yes, maybe they, they really believe some of the stuff that their candidate says, but like if you look at maybe they, they believe that stuff, but if you if you look at how how things gone in their state, and that's what I love about Larry Elder's campaign. He's running on, aren't you tired of this? Aren't you tired of rolling brownouts or rolling blackouts or whatever they are. And, and aren't you tired of the fact that, you know, 75% of black boys pre-pandemic in California cannot do math or read at state levels? 
Aren't you tired of that? Aren't you tired of sending your kids, black and Hispanic parents, aren't you tired of sending those, your children to those schools? I love the whole, I love the whole campaign of, hey, you don't have to love me, but like, what is this guy doing? How has this worked for the last 20, 30 years? No, it's failing people. I think it's a good slogan. Absolutely. No, I, I definitely agree. He's he's doing a great job at his campaign messaging. I mean, he's he's always been a great speaker and writer and just communicator, but I feel like he's really hitting the mark with this. And um, yeah, no, it's it's so true. You, you don't have to get someone, you don't have to get a voter to appreciate all that you are and everything that you do. You just have to get them to like you more than the other person. And uh, I, I think he's doing a great job at that. Um, what else did you mention that made me think of something? Um, oh yeah, you're you're saying it's a generational thing. It very much is a generational thing, and maybe I am giving people too much credit because I mean, let's be honest. Like, only one in five people actually pay close attention to politics. So most most people, when an election comes up, they're just going to vote whatever their gut tells them, whether their gut is telling them something good or not good, or informed or misinformed. So um, it's very true that uh, yeah, we just. You know, I hope that as as media gets a little bit more decentralized and people turn to podcasts and books and, you know, various shows that they actually take on the responsibility of, of teaching themselves things that the media, the government, schools, sometimes, you know, parents and friends aren't going to teach you. Like, you, you really have to take it on yourself, like we talked about at the top of the episode. I I know for a fact there's no way that I would hold libertarian views or, or think anything like truly freedom minded. Um, if I hadn't done my own research and started to read things on my own, cause I come from a conservative family and I share some conservative values, but it's definitely not all of them. And yeah, so it'll be very interesting next couple of years to see, uh, where the sound sounds a little uh, cheesy, but kind of where the spirit of America, you know, in what direction the country turns. Cause I don't know. It's, uh, we're facing a lot of uh, <laughs> facing a lot of battles right now, culturally speaking. So, I had a conversation this morning with a friend of mine about this, and you know, he is a little more optimistic than me, but I'm not very optimistic. <laughs> but uh, he's like, "Well, don't let it ruin your morning, man." Grab yourself a cup of coffee. It'll be all right. Yeah. Anyway, back to work. You know what I mean? It's like you just take those moments throughout the day sometimes where you stop and go, yeah, this ain't good. You know what I mean? And then you just move on. With day. Absolutely. I had one of those moments this morning. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's true. It's, I mean, they're hard to avoid. We, we live in a very messed up, complex world, and I think it's good to take a moment at times to be like, yeah, this is really bad. Like, you know, what am I going to do about this or what are we going to do about this? But yeah, if, if you let your, if you dwell on it for your entire day, that, that can mess with someone's, anyone's emotions to the core. So, yeah. All right. What else do we have here? So, um, have you ever had any conversations about politics with someone where your mind was changed or you changed their mind? And can you share more about how that went? I mean, I've had conversations with, I've had conversations with a friend of mine, actually, who is completely, shares complete, completely different views of mine. I mean, 
and we're still good friends. So that actually happens to me quite often. And I'll, in relation to your question, example of when he and I got into it about this, about politics or whatever we were talking about regarding the current event. Um, he asked me why I'm even friends with him. If I'm going to want to argue or if I'm going to get, you know, uh, fired up in the debate. He asked me, why, why, why do you even be my friend? Why, why do you even want to be friends with someone like me? Don't you want to be friends with all your buddies that think the same way as you? And I said, no. I, say, I said, this is what you're missing. I said that the reason that I want to be, the reason I want and enjoy being friends with you is because we have different views, because sometimes, many times, when we talk about current events or politics, and it gets, you know, kind of back and forthy, there's been a lot of times in our conversations with somebody who thinks differently than me where I stop and I say, huh, and I think about it differently. So there's a million examples of me thinking differently in our conversations, but that one friend is the prime example. I mean, we couldn't be different with our views. But that that's the most recent story is he asked me why even be my friend. I said, because we have different views. I don't want to just hang out with people that have the same views as me. You know, it's nice to, you know, it's nice to get your ego stroked by people that agree with you on everything. It's, it feels good. Joe Rogan, um, a couple years ago, brought this up. I don't remember who he was interviewing, but, you know, the, the whole, um, I don't remember how he worded it exactly, how it's like teams. It's so viciously is like teams. Um, where he pulled up a, I think it was a Chris Rock skit, actually, where Chris Rock was the one that was saying it about, like, everybody is like, it's like sports teams, you know? It's like. It feels good to hang out with all the people that are cheering for the same team that you're on. It feels good to have those conversations with people that agree with you and don't challenge your way of thinking. But I think, and that's, that's what I think so many people are missing right now is a friend like mine, a friend that I'm referring to. I think that more people need a friend that they disagree with politically and even, you know, religiously or culturally. Yeah. Very well said. I love that, man. It's so true. I, I think if there's one thing that's probably actually driving division more than anything else is it's, it's people of all political stripes going too far into their own pigeonholes. You know, people who are just like, yeah, I know what I believe and or I just I believe what I believe and I want to surround myself with people who think the same thing and it's like like you said that's not going to challenge you that's not going to bridge the divide every literally everybody talks about well we want to bridge the divide. Well, it's like how do you do that? You talk with people who you disagree with and it's like and that is the hard part. Yes, that takes a lot of effort, that takes a lot of transparency, 
takes a lot of humility, takes a lot of patience, um, and those are not easy. Those are not easy things to uh, gain, but it's the only answer, you know. And uh, that's a big reason why I'm doing the podcast too. Is it's like, you know, my friend Rian, uh, who I had on for the first like full length interview. I guarantee, like he, you, and him, and and me as well. Like all three of us would have different views on like various topics. But it's like that's what makes it interesting about talking about those things is we we can actually dialogue about it and see what has this person learned throughout life or what have they researched that I might not know so yeah it's very well said and it's yeah and it's part of growing as a person you know it's just like reading a book the whole point of reading about something is to learn so conversations with people is just like reading it's another way to learn it's another way to um expand your mind you know and i'm guilty of it too i mean everyone's guilty of it i mean you know it's it's tough it's it's hard when you kind of feel like your team is losing around the short end got the short end of the stick in the current you know time frame it's tough to be the you know it's easy to be a sore loser and i've definitely been a sore loser uh, many times and you know, people that disagree with me about all this stuff, they're the biggest sore losers that in my mind sometimes too. And it's like, um, it's tough to be so primal and just so like, I'm on this side and you're on this side. And um, you think and you really truly believe in your, in your convictions and that you your view is the right view. So it's very hard to bridge that gap and bridge the divide, like you said. It's really hard, and it's not – I mean, well, the division that we're experiencing right now in this country, it's like you want to talk about how – in the beginning of the podcast, we were talking about how um, I think I said, like, people want an instant solution – like that to decade long problems. And it's just like, that's unrealistic. Sadly, this division. And, and if you look back in, in time, in our lifetimes, this has been brewing. This is all, nothing is, is by accident anymore. Um, it took a long time. People don't, people want to, people want to think that politics and, and hate and division uh, started four years ago when Donald Trump walked onto the scene, that's completely inaccurate. Um, This was going on for a long time. Um, It's like Ben Shapiro says, um, America is the corpse on the table. Donald Trump wasn't the murderer. He's just the coroner. He was the coroner. There was already a dead body on the table. We were already cut in half. You know what I mean? There was a lot of things that led up to um, the point we're at now. And, that's not just going to go flip back like a light switch like that, unfortunately. No, it's very true. I remember uh, seeing that episode, too. I, I think it was the Daily Wire backstage, um, one of the episodes that they did like that where he mentioned that. But, yeah, I was like, wow, that's a really good analogy. Like, everyone uh, everyone wanted to paint Trump like he was the, you know, <laughs> pretty much the Antichrist, let's be real. And... Uh, 
and just just painting him as like oh he's he's ruined it like all the hitler comparisons i mean it was just so ridiculous like i'm i'm not a fan of trump don't get me wrong i i never voted for the guy and never would but um he's by no means the cause of all this divi- this division like you said so it's yeah it's been going on for decades if not centuries um another thing too is i always chuckle about there was someone that put together like a video compilation of uh like all these celebrities like hugging trump and and specifically like women too like you know he would give like give him a kiss on the cheek or like give him a quick hug and it's like i mean he was a legit celeb he still is but he was like he everybody wanted to be trump before he ran for president you know like it was just like I mean, look how many rappers made songs about it. Like, the, and the same rappers that, like, Snoop Dogg, now he had, his, he had a music video where he, like, held a gun up to some dude, like, dressed up like Trump and fucking, oh, sorry. No, you're good. And uh, blasted him, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's like, what? Now you hate the guy? You, you you wrote songs about how you wanted to be like that. Absolutely, yeah. It's it's comical to say the least. So, <laughs> a little bit of a lighter question, but is there anything in the cultural or entertainment spheres that you're really enjoying right now? Whether that's music, art, movies, books, anything like that. Well, I mean, I'm really liking. It's it's nice to take a break from the political and go to. For me, the financial, I, I'm, um, I've, I've been following Dave Ramsey a bit over the last couple of years. He helped, his uh, program helped me get out of the debt that I was in at the time over a couple of years. So I've, I've really been enjoying listening to him. It's a nice um, break from, uh, from all the heavy topics that you, you find on the political uh, commentators and stuff. Um, you know, I'm trying to keep it fresh with, with my music intake. I'm trying to keep it fresh with my music intake, always looking for new artists. I started just, you know, on Apple music, I just started, uh, I'll play a song and then I'll just let like Apple music play a, a playlist of related artists, you know, Spotify does the same kind of thing, you know? So I, I found a lot of good songs that way. And then if I if I really like the song, I'll dig deeper into the artist. And I've been listening to a lot of uh, a lot of the outlaw kind of hip hop, as they call it. A lot of the southern the southern rap. A lot of the southern guys that are from Georgia and from Appalachia. You know what I mean? Um, the people that are from like the moonshiners. You know what I mean? Like people that. There's this whole subgenre that I, I didn't know existed, and I, I kind of you hear the big names like Upchurch or Demon Jones or you know Jelly Roll of that kind of like subgenre of uh, the Southern Struggle Jennings, Bubba Sparks, people like that. Those are the the big names, you know what I mean. But I, I started I started diving into the the hip hop world, and it's there's some good stuff in there. It's got a lot of the, the country kind of instrumentals that that you don't hear too much these days in a hip-hop format. It's kind of cool. So I'm definitely kind of uh, enjoying that. And um, as far as shows, 
my girlfriend and I started watching the spinoff of Sons of Anarchy called the Mayans MC. And we're really enjoying, we're really enjoying that so far. So that's a good show on Netflix or Hulu rather. Nice. Okay. Very cool. Awesome. Yeah. I haven't heard of, uh, I don't think I've heard of it, so I'll have to keep that in mind. Awesome plugs, man. Appreciate that. Um, so back into some serious stuff for a little bit uh, before we get to the last couple of questions of the night. But obviously, uh, it wouldn't be a, a timely podcast episode if we didn't talk a little bit about Afghanistan and just the horrible crisis that's going on over there. Um, but yeah, I mean, between like Glenn Beck flying his, you know, fl- actually not even his plane. I think it was... Uh, uh, what's his name? He's the, it's, I can't even remember it right now, but it's one of the mega pastors. Um, but, you know, Glenn Beck's flying planes in and, and Biden is just fumbling over everything as per usual. And obviously it's just a massive humanitarian crisis there like we haven't seen in a long time. Um, but yeah, what are your, what are your thoughts on all that? And, you know, what, what do you hope to see in, in the future there? I mean, I'm absolutely, I'm absolutely horrified at what happened over there with um, just how many, how, how huge of a failure this was is it's, there really aren't words. I, I know a lot of people have a lot to say about it, but I'll keep it brief. I really think that um, this was a huge, huge failure. Um, there's, there is a right way to do it. I agree that there is a right way that pulling people out could have happened. What happened was the complete opposite of that. I will entertain and even to some point agree with people who will make the argument of we needed we need to leave. We need to get people out of there. Enough's enough. I'll entertain those debates and those arguments. That doesn't change a fact. There's a right way and a wrong way to go about it. And this was not just the wrong way. This was the the worst possible outcome um, that could have been, honestly. Um, So that being said, you know, none of what happened had to happen that way. And this is one of the very few situations and circumstances where I will go so far as to say that the blood is completely on the president's hands and the administration's hands with this one. This was a completely un... And I only say that because this was a completely unnecessary outcome. The blood's on their hands. And... and, and the, the American blood and our, our allies, Afghan allies blood and the, the thousands of people that are going to literally be slaughtered, the thousands and thousands of young women who are going to become sex slaves. Um, it's, it's absolutely horrifying. It's disgusting and it's shameful. Um, it also greatly damages our global interests. It makes us look weak. 
It it completely was a horror. It was a horrible strate- strategic military move because what and and I to be honest, I I'm no expert in this Afghanistan stuff, so I'm disclaimer, not claiming to be, but in the process of realizing, watching this disaster unfold, I actually learned a little bit more about it and why strategically it made sense to leave some people, some military people there. And I'm not going to, um, you know, ramble on about that, but simply put, and I know you, you've done your research about it. I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. It greatly uh, boldens our enemies globally to have Afghanistan become a terror haven again and locate geographically location wise where Afghanistan is gives a lot of pretty sinister players on the world stage, a strategic advantage geographically that could really, really uh, put our allies and the United States in some really bad situations over there. So, um, I think it's just a complete disaster, and I think it's shameful. And this is one of those few times that I will say something so out there as to that it's directly their fault. It is 110% the fault of the administration that's currently in office. And that's because it did not have to happen that way. It's mind-boggling how incompetent these people are. Very well said. Especially that last part. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember seeing Kamala Harris, you know, it was, again, one of the big big media companies, CNN, MSNBC, something like that. You know, one of the hosts was just asking her, like, you know, basically about all of Biden's intelligence and the decision he made and, you know, pulling the troops out, which I, I actually am one of the people who believes, like, enough is enough. Now, I agree with you. It, it was not handled even remotely well. It was not handled with any ounce of responsibility, maturity, strategy. You know, it, it, it makes us, it makes us look so bad that it's like all of the last, you know, 20 some years, you know, not even just with Afghanistan and everything that goes along with that, but it, it just makes us look like everything that we've done as a country to, protect the needy when it's appropriate and right to do so it makes us look like we don't know what we're doing anymore um but you know getting back to the Kamala Harris bit um she you know was asked like what are your thoughts on like what Biden did and do you think he did the right thing and she was like she's like she said something like well what I will tell you is this he is someone who has an extreme amount of courage and I'm like not only do I not agree with that, but that's like absolutely the wrong time to say that, you know, to be saying like the the way that they handled it and just Biden fumbling over everything and saying like, you know, we they have 300,000 troops up against, you know, uh, 75,000 Taliban and just everything that he failed to do, you know, all the decisions that he failed to make at the time that he needed to make them. And then she says, well, you have, you know, he has so much courage and it's like, that's, if that's not like the kiss of death, you know, I don't know what is, you know, and, uh, courage is, uh, not turning your back on press conferences when people are pressing you about the, um, 13 service members that you just got blown up for absolutely no reason. 20, 23 year old kids coming home in body bags because some, um, 
radical jihadist was able to slip through the gates and get right up on top of these people and all the civilians and all the uh, Afghans who were standing right there who died, not just our service members, but um, that, that alone, I mean, it, it's shameful. That to me is an impeachable. That's in, it's impeachable. I mean, you have, you, you've got to be kidding me. I mean, it, you handed over millions or billions of dollars of, uh, sophisticated equipment to terrorists. Well, that's something the United States government's been doing for decades now. But, you know, this this particular instance is, that's treason, in my opinion. Um, I'm also going to go so far as to say that. this The actions of, um, his actions and the administration's actions with this Afghanistan debacle are treasonous. That's what I think. And... And something that I have to say for the record, and I don't care if people don't want to hear it, this is just the truth. Um, it, and, and this doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, like, what side of the aisle you're on. It doesn't matter. Let's, let's be very clear about something. The President of the United States is no longer with us. He is no longer with us. The lights are on, but nobody's home. The man is not well. The man is not in control. The man has no idea what is going on and what he's doing and what he's saying 90% of the time. Um, I feel bad for the guy. I do. I didn't love everything about Trump. I didn't love Trump. I didn't love he didn't say, but let's be very clear about something. Left, right, or in the center. Ridiculous. We are, this is the most embarrassing thing to continuously watch is this decrepit, doddering old fool as the commander-in-chief of supposedly the most powerful nation to ever be in the history of the world. Um, it's sad. And it's regardless of what political party he belongs to, this is not good. Um, you're 100% right. It, it, he's not with us. It makes us look weak because we are weak, because we're being run by – we're being run by crazy people with a elder abuse case at the forefront of it. I mean, this guy needs to – he needs to be taken care of. His health is not well. It's obvious that he can't even speak. And as far as the decisions that he made, I don't know how much I don't know how much he uh, actually made the, that decision with this Afghanistan thing, or if it's all smoke and mirrors. Someone made that decision, and whoever that is, the blood's on their hands. And you know what? When you're the face of the administration, when you're the president, it falls on you. And one more thing I'd like to say about him is he's never been on the right side of any foreign policy decision ever. If you go back 40 years that he's been in, in Washington, the guy's always been an idiot. I mean, he's never had a good plan. So it's just sad because it's so unnecessary and so many innocent people are going to die. And the treason, last thing, the treason 
side of it also comes from how can you how can you can how can you keep your job when you left American citizens behind? Like I know we want to talk about like our allies and stuff. Listen, or green card holders, American citizens, whether they're Afghan or you know American American, you're literally li leaving your people in harm's way and getting away with it. Do you agree? I mean. Yeah, no, I, I do agree. I mean, there there's so many egregious offenses throughout this entire thing that I'm like, if this doesn't, if this is not a stain in people's memories of Biden's presidency, I don't know what will be. I mean, it short of like, like a nuclear bomb dropping, you know, this is about as bad as it gets, to be quite honest. So I agree. I mean, this, I agree. It's, it's an impeachable offense, you know, the left can scream Trump as much as they want, and they can do all the charades that they want. But when people's lives are being, yeah, when women are being raped, when children are being, you know, beaten and, you know, rounded up like cattle and, you know, just all of the hum humanitarian atrocities that are happening, it's, it's just so, it's so appalling. It's like this this is what you got for your never Trump vote, you know, and and I'm not saying I, I don't want to be someone who blames everything on the president, because I, the president does have very big and, and crucial responsibilities. Um, I I believe this extends not not saying that you were saying this, but I, I believe it extends well beyond his failures. But it is very clear in, in a, you know, in multiple senses, not not just from like a media sense, but just just like a pure leadership of this country sense, like he he failed us. And so, yeah, when uh, he failed the people that are stuck there, he failed the people that just came home in body bags. Yeah, that's a fact. That's a fact. It is a fact. Yeah, absolutely. And all those people that are in trouble over there, I just don't understand. I mean, I don't care what people, and I don't care what counter-argument people want to throw at me. There is no counter-argument to that fact of, listen, you don't have to like either of these guys. Trump, that wouldn't have happened under Trump. I'm sorry. It wouldn't, he would, there would not be a, a single American citizen left behind under somebody like him. I'm, I'm sorry. It's just, it's sad, man. And yeah, I do think about that too. Not just the people who passed away in the, in the violence last week but all the people who are in line to absolutely it's not good i couldn't agree more man and it, it says a lot about how when when glenn beck of all people is is the person who's you know flying planes in to help refugees and you know he raised something like 27 million dollars some something huge like that i think it was actually even bigger than that but you know some gargantuan amount of money he, you know it says a lot when one of America's biggest conservative radio hosts is doing more than the president of the United States is doing. So, yeah, it's it's very telling. Right, and it shouldn't have to be that way. But but here's the government sucks at everything. I don't know yeah. how much time we have left, but are we? How are we looking? Uh, I've got about probably two two more big questions. Well, semi big. Okay. But um, yeah, we're we're doing good. We'll we'll probably wrap it up before eight. So. But I, I just, I think um, the government sucks at everything. I mean, that's the simple answer that I, that that's the that's the core of my political beliefs. I don't even know what I consider myself. Um, 
politically. I can just tell you that I, you know, I, I'm for small government because I believe that the, the government is bad at everything. And But that being said, I think that the, the fundamental purpose of the government is to make sure a bomb doesn't fall on my head. Or to make sure that if there's people overseas that are in trouble, that are United States citizens, make sure a bomb doesn't fall on their heads. That's what I want the government to do. They completely couldn't even do They couldn't even do that in this case. I mean, they, you, you, you can't even get your own people to safety. You can't even... I mean... And then you hand it over a list. A kill list, basically, for these people. It's, it's just... If you ever needed an example of how incompetent our government is, this would be it. And it could have very well happened under someone who was a Republican president. It could have very well happened. And there was a lot of stuff that happened in the Middle East under Bush and his dad and everything, you know, if, you, if people do their research about Saddam Hussein to, you know, Osama bin Laden, like all the, the players in between, I mean, there's just so much history there. And there's so many question marks there over time and over history with the Middle East conflict. You know, a lot of people have asked me, are you more of an isolationist, like a Tucker Carlson kind of view, uh, a libertarian kind of view? I don't know if that's a libertarian view of foreign policy is isolationist. I don't know. Maybe you could correct me if I'm wrong, but... No. Is I, that what libertarian? I would say, well, I mean, libertarians, from what I understand, kind of view it in two different ways. So it's like, yeah, I, isolationist, I would say yes. If like if a country is already formed somewhat, yes, but even more so than that. I mean, most libertarians I've met and talked to um, subscribe to like an open borders view where it's like there really should be no nations. It should just be people who want to freely associate with whoever they want to associate with. Oh, no, with. no, no. See, that's... So that, that's a very <laughs> different story. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't agree with that, but... Yeah. I don't know. People ask me, like, I, I actually have a family member who I get into pretty fierce debates with about um, everything that we've talked about tonight. Um, it just so happens that they're, they're... It just so happens that they're always in the mood to talk about this stuff every time I'm around because maybe they think that I'll agree with everything they say, and then they're sadly mistaken when I start going back and forth with them, but I mean, this this fam particular family member likes to, you know, uh, express their view about how they're an isolationist uh, mentality and stuff. And why are we doing this? Why are we being the world police? And why are we doing this? And you know what? Gosh, I couldn't tell you, Brad, I couldn't tell you which side of that coin I'm on. I really think I'm somewhere in the middle. I really think I'm somewhere in the middle because I don't think that it's always right to be meddling, but I also understand their strategic purposes to things that we need to do to secure our interests that the American people aren't even aware of. And Afghanistan was one of them. So prayers, prayers to everybody that's in trouble over there. And prayers to those who lost their lives recently and over the last 20 years 
over there because that's just a sad, sad ending to a sad, sad story. Absolutely. Well said. Yeah, I, I, uh, I definitely hope that the people who did, did die, whether Afghanis, Americans, all the above, that they rest in peace. I mean, it's, it's horrible what happened over there. And I hope it's, I hope it's a lesson to everybody, you know, um, our, our American leadership, most of all, to be quite frank. So awesome. Well, we got about two more questions. Um, are there any political or cultural causes that you are particularly passionate about right now? Um, I don't know. Not really. I, I'm not involved with any, anything. Um, I can tell you I'm not involved or affiliated with anybody or any, uh, sort of, um, movement like that. But I definitely think that it seems like young America's foundation is doing good work. And if I was to be a part of anything of that sort, I would definitely want to donate my money or time to an organization like that that's focused on, you know, just talking to young people, talking to the youth, whether it be through, you know, um, ministry, youth ministries, whether it be through, you know, political kind of um group uh, setting like YAF Young America's Foundation. I think they do great work, and I, I definitely respect um, I respect what they're doing. Just the whole college tours, you know, college campus tours. I mean, some of the uh, people that you know I listened to had their first viral moments at those, you know, uh, college conferences. You know, what I mean? so. Um, Right, right. Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think of what else I've been kind of paying attention to, and what I what's kind of sparked my interest, movement wise. And um, here here is my thing. I also have a problem with associating with groups because when you get associated, when you're associated with a group or a charity or um an affiliation, um, whether it's nonprofit or whatever that has any sort of political leaning, you, I think you run the risk of, I think you definitely run the risk of getting yourself kind of into that same kind of dicey territory that, um, I mentioned earlier in the podcast about situations I avoided rallies for certain causes, you know, um, I definitely support people's right to protest. I definitely support people's right to, you know, uh, be expressing their views and marching and uh, peacefully assembling or even forcefully assembling for their, uh, their views on any side of the aisle. So, I'm not trying to say that I'm anti-protesting uh, or anti, you know, rallying together and, you know, talking and presenting. I think that's a good, there's, I think it's good that there's organizations, but I think that um, for me personally, I just kind of, I, I know who I support and I know what I believe and I don't 
feel that I need to gather with people or um, necessarily give money to people that I agree with. I feel like me knowing deep down that I support the cause is enough. Um, that's kind of how I feel, but I, I definitely respect the people that are trying to do good for the next generation. What about you? What about you? Any organizations or? No, that's a good answer. I'm, I'm happy to answer too. Um, yeah, I mean, honestly, I, <clears throat> I've specifically for the last couple of years, I've always been a fan of the people at reason, you know, Nick Gillespie, um, Matt Welch, um, Stephanie Slade, I'm trying to, th uh, Catherine, I can't remember her last name right now, um, but she's the uh, editor-in-chief, I think. But, yeah, really all the people at Reason are, are really solid. Um, granted, that's not so much like a cultural political cause. It's more just, you know, great magazine, great podcast, great YouTube channel. Um, John Stossel, I can always get behind that guy. I don't think I've... I don't think I've ever heard something that John Stossel said that I was like, uh, I don't really agree with that. He's pretty much libertarian to the core. Yeah, so. <laughs> he's, he's um, kind of an acquired taste for me. <laughs> okay, yeah. But yeah. I, I, I've listened to some of his podcasts, yeah. Nice, that's cool. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest, I, I haven't always, like, listened to his stuff. I, I remember there was a time where I was more familiar with him as like a consumer reporter than I was like a libertarian podcaster, author and, and stuff like that. So he definitely made a pretty big jump um, to some extent from one media world to another. But yeah, I'm trying to think of organizations. Um, there's a billion like nonprofits and just, you know, groups that I donate to, but it would take too much time and not all of them are politically related, which is fine. But um, yeah, I'm trying to think. Um, I don't know. I think there's I think there's a group called like Voluntarism in Action that's about really just helping helping people help each other and I feel like that's that's about as like freedom oriented as it gets and um really just kind of turning back to like mutual aid societies that we had I think before World War II if I'm not mistaken but yeah any anything that helps people voluntarily help other people I can get behind that yeah. 100%. So. I mean there's also I've thought, I mean, to be honest, in my in my way, my way of making a mark is through my music and my songs. And, you know, I just want to reach as many people as want to give me a chance, uh, want to listen to my stuff. And I hope that I'm doing some good work through my music, through my songs. Um, where it's kind of like my own organization or kind of like my own movement, you know? And I really, yeah, I really just think that that's what's cool about, um, what's cool about music, you know? It can become a movement. And some of the people I mentioned earlier in the podcast, I feel like they do a really good job of, they do a really good job of, um, bringing their their music and their movement their cause into one cohesive movement kind of so it's true man music is really more powerful than just about anything on this earth so uh yeah i agree if if people have a message that they want to share with music it's just it's just going to amplify the message that much more so 
Well, I got one more fun question for you here. Uh, this comes from Poddex. Um, what do you consider the most overrated virtue and why? The most overrated virtue. Oh, man. Yeah, it's kind of an interesting question. That is an interesting question. <laughs> uh, okay, so do we mean virtue as in like biblical or are we talking about like cultural kind of? Um, it could be anything. So it could be, yeah, you could draw from the Bible if you want to, or it could be anything like uh, patience, um, <laughs> self-control. I don't know. Just well, I'm just kind of spouting some off here. I mean, I think that, oh, man, that's a tough one. I think that, um, I think, I don't know. I personally have always... As a, as a human, I've always kind of struggled with self-control. So I, I kind of I lean that one, toward that one. You know, I think that's kind of overrated. I mean, you know, my, my dad has a saying um, that I'm sure many generations before him first uh, thought of, um, everything in moderation. But, you know, <laughs> that is a good way to live. But I personally yeah, yeah. think that's kind of overrated because, you know, I've, I've never lived that way whether it be um songwriting and uh just giving it all going extreme just i need to do this pedal to the floor you know i have to work on my music i have to work on my craft until i'm sick until i can't like until i have writer's block because it just all came out you know or like um over the years, you know, struggling with addictions and struggling with um, attachment to people or things and or substances. It's like, I think that's kind of overrated. I think that um, it's overrated because I learned more about myself and I'm not at all saying that it's good to learn the hard way or it's good to develop a problem. I definitely think it's wiser to learn to practice moderation, but like self-control and self-control is a very, um, it's a very important thing down the line, but I think it's something that has to be learned. You know what I mean? So I don't think it should be something that's taken at complete face value. I think it's unrealistic. That's really the biggest thing. We're humans. We're going to make mistakes. That's why I think it's really truly overrated. It's unrealistic, but I'm not by any means saying that, you know, go crazy or anything, but I, you do learn about yourself. You do learn about yourself and you learn lessons when you don't exercise that self-control and you learn what you need to dial, dial in, you know, dial back a little bit on this, or maybe I'm too much of a party or maybe I'm a little too like, you know, soft-spoken. Maybe you have too much self-control and instead of not enough, it, it can be a double-edged sword. But uh, I think um, here's the other thing. I'll, I'll, I'll give you one more on that. You want to know something that's overrated that by today's standards is this whole, just the whole, this whole uh, 
comedy thing. Com- comedy can't be comedy anymore. I mean, uh, it's ridiculous. I mean, you just can't, you, you can't watch an episode of Chappelle shows, a show that you and me grew up with as teenagers. You can't put one of those on TV today because, you know, there would be riots in the streets over how racist or how offensive it is or how anything, you know, honestly, I think that it, it speaks to a deeper problem. Like this whole cancel culture time we're living through. It's just, it's getting to the point where people who are not like awake to a lot of the stuff that we talked about tonight, people that don't care, that just up and don't care about anything that you and me have really talked about or don't think about these kind of things. Even people like my girlfriend, you know, you hear the the latest thing that is offensive to somebody or someone like my, you know, my dad or my grandma or someone. And they're just like, huh? It's like, really, really? We're here. We've come this, we've come to this point of stupidity. It's like people that don't even like go about their day thinking about like anything we've talked about. It's, it's affecting people at the very bottom level to where it's like, People are just like, oh my god! It's it's you're constantly rolling your eyes at this point, and I just miss the days where things were funnier, things were freer, things were. Um, it was okay to laugh at other other people's differences and other people's expenses. I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous. And I'll tell you right now, I'm I'm a product of that era, and that's never going to change. Um. I don't really have a lot of self-control still to tie it back to the self-control thing. I mean, it takes a lot for me to control um, just my day-to-day interactions with people. I mean, I think we are at a point of probably no return culturally. I don't know what it's going to take, man. Like, I don't know what it's going to take, but let the person tell a joke. Let the comedian be funny again. Let the let the actor act. Let the singer sing. You're taking away. They're they're trying to strip away the whole movement. Is trying to strip away at everything left that brings us joy. Laughter is medically proven to be good for your body. Like that's that's not an opinion. You know what I mean? Like, and you're taking away people's ability to laugh. This is crazy to me. No, I, I couldn't agree more again. It's um you know you know culture's in trouble when comedians start sweating. So and it's it's funny cuz like Dave Chappelle great reference, you know. It's very telling when uh the the liberal media industrial complex is saying like his latest Netflix special was like so bad or whatever cuz it's it's so it's so unwoke, but it's like, that's why people love it. And that's why people have always loved him. And that's why people will continue to love his stuff. He's one of the, he's one of the comic geniuses of like history. He's right up there with like George Carlin and Bob Hope and like Dean Martin and, you know, Steve Martin as well. Like he's, he's way up there with like everyone else who's ever been a comedy great. And like, I hope it stays that way forever. I hope people can see through well into the future. Like, 
yeah, you know, so-and-so said, like, his Netflix special was, like, really bad, but it's it's one of the funniest, I haven't even seen the whole thing, and what I have seen, it's, like, one of the funniest things I've ever seen in my entire life. Yeah, it's it's really, it's really gotten out of hand. It's just not fun. I, I hate to be a negative Nancy, but, you know, this is just how I feel. It's It's not, it's not fun anymore to be, <laughs> it's really not fun anymore to be alive. I hate to say it, make it sound like I, I'm not implying anything like I, you know, wish any self-harm on myself, but I'm just saying like, it's really, you're taking the fun out of life, man. That's really what I'm trying to say is like, you know, can't we have something that we all have in common? Can't we all laugh at the Dave Chappelle jokes? And why is it, why is it always white people that are the ones that are offended by something. It's like, it, it just blows my mind. It's like, the people that, most of the people that are offended by uh, Dave Chappelle are white people. You know, I, I couldn't help but notice the man is African American and he's making fun of African Americans because he's African American. So he's making fun of himself. You're offended that a African American man is making fun of himself. Maybe you're the problem. Maybe you're the problem. Like, I mean, it's it's just, it's so out of control, man. It's like, and it's really funny to get like his take and people like his, you know, in his position, like their takes on all that. They're like, I don't give a bleep. You know what I mean? I don't care. Like, they're just like, he lights up a cigarette and he's like, I'm Joe Rogan, like, Man, I don't give a crap. You know what I mean? It's like he doesn't care. It's like he's like, when did I ever like the whole point of 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 stand up comedy and entertainment is to take you out of your day to day. It's to take you to a different place, make you laugh, make you cry, or make you sing along to a song. And that's what it's all about. It's an escape from the BS of day to day life. So if as the culture is continuously getting chiseled away at it's you're eroding like what makes us enjoy life. And that's what I mean. It's like, it's getting to the point where it's like, dude, it's not fun anymore <laughs> to live in this world of just everyone. Um, everyone just has to get in everyone else's business. I'll tell you right now, I don't care what the person does next to me. And here's the libertarian in me speaking, you know, to each your own. As long as you're not hurting anybody or hurting me, or infringing on me, do what you want to do, man. That's just how I live my life. I don't care. I don't care if you're gay, straight, or whatever. I don't care what race you are. I don't care what culture you come from. And if you have things about that that are important to you, I want you to live that way. I want you to be yourself. I want you to express yourself in your own way and have the same freedoms that everyone else does, but What's happening is the gun is being turned around, figuratively, at least for now, on people on people who literally just want to be left the heck alone. And I don't know if you think about this at all, but um, when you when you put people who just want to be left alone in a position against the wall, back us into a corner, it's probably not going to end well.
And I just fear like that's where we're heading. More and more every day. Unless people start having conversations like this and having conversations like the ones with um, my buddy who disagrees with me, but we're still best friends and I go out on his boat on the weekends and we have fun together. But I have those conversations where it actually has changed my mind about certain things and it has made me think differently about certain things. More people need to have these kind of conversations. Otherwise, I just feel like it's completely going off the rails in a way that we might not ever get back, man. Yeah, no, it's very true. Interesting times lie ahead, to say the very least. Probably dark times, too, but it's it's going to be very telling to see uh, <clears throat> what happens in the country and in the world over the next couple of years. So, yeah, I hope hope people pay attention to wisdom and just, you know, protect themselves and their loved ones and, you know, just kind of got to weather the storm, so to speak. But I'm kind of a pessimist. <laughs> What's that? I, I'm kind of, like I said earlier, I'm kind of a pessimist when it comes to all that. But you know what? But you know what? I I, I don't um, I don't want that to happen. I don't want the thoughts that and the, the, I don't want it to end up the way that I think it's going to end up. So I have to keep some glimmer of hope because uh, otherwise, it's like you start going down that mental staircase of like, okay, well. If tomorrow is if if tomorrow's not gonna matter, then why does today matter? You know, that's a slippery slope. <laughs> yeah, very true. Well, it's good that you're uh, fighting to have that that sense of hope because yeah, we all we all need a sense of hope, whether it's uh, you know God or you know whatever someone chooses to put their hope in. Uh, I I put my hope in God, but. Um, yeah, definitely hear what you're saying. It's because otherwise, yeah, people would just end it right now if there was no sense of hope for anything better. So. And I hope that people uh, get that out of my music too. That's that's the only reason that I do it is because I hope that someone can relate to it and it can be on repeat throughout someone's day. That maybe it'll make it better. I mean, that's the name of the game. That's why I'm, I make music. I make it for myself first. And foremost is a way to express myself and then I make it for those who can relate to it. Very well said, man. Well, before we officially wrap up here, where can people find you online if they want to check out your music and support what you do? Um, you can find me on Instagram at silence underscore them 91. And you can find me on Apple Music, Spotify, Tidal, anywhere you stream music by searching Silence Them, all one word. And you will find my music there. You can look me up on YouTube. I have um, a YouTube channel called Silence Them, all one word uh, music. I'm going to be putting out my first music video this Friday from my brand new song called Flowers of Fire. Really excited to share that with everybody. It'll be live on YouTube this Friday, the tenth. Um, and you can find me on Facebook at Silence Them, all one word as well. Um, I'm pretty active on my uh, social media, and 
drop a dime, check out the songs that I have out right now, and uh, keep an eye out for that music video on Friday. I got a lot more coming this year, too. Heck yeah. Sounds great, man. Thanks so much. Well, hey, man, this was an awesome conversation. I'm really glad we got to do this. We we did a solid two hours here. This is going to make a, a nice, rich podcast once I get it uploaded uh, and, and published and everything. So, Absolutely, man. Thanks for uh, having me, and thanks for the conversation. It's uh, It's been my pleasure. Awesome. I'm very glad to hear it. Heck yeah, man. Thanks again, and uh, thank you all for watching. Really appreciate your support, and um, yeah, stay tuned for the next episode. Peace out, everybody. Take care of yourselves. See you, Brad. All right. Sounds good. See you, man. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Bigger Hearts, Deeper Minds. You can find us on the web at www.biggerheartsdeeperminds.com. You can also find us on social media on platforms like Facebook, Instagram, and Rumble, and coming soon to other platforms. Join our email list and get free subscriber updates by sending a blank email to bhdm at bcast.email. Once again, that's bhdm at bcast.email. Thanks so much again for supporting our work, and we look forward to seeing you in another episode.